the punch bowl has been taken and it's been broken. Tonight, shockwaves of a financial meltdown head north. The reaction to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and what it means for the future of Bay Street. Good evening. We'll bring you that story shortly, but we start tonight with an update on the safety of passengers riding the rocket. After a spate of violence that shook the confidence of commuters, city officials added a host of extra security. And now, after a few short weeks, they are scaling back. CTV's Allison Hurst joins us from Davisville Station tonight. Allison, what's the reason? Michelle, a TTC spokesperson, says they've seen the numbers of violent incidents drop in the month of January, and they're hopeful when they see the February numbers that it will have dropped again. Now, that was the first month of the uh, poli added police officers on the TTC that we saw that happen. Now, this modification actually begins today, and it is going to be returning back to an intelligence-based model. And what that means, it'll be officers who are on duty being deployed based on time of day, usage, and any incident that need to be investigated. Toronto police are pulling back, modifying deployment for officers on the transit system. I think there should be more police officers. Honestly, I feel safer if I see security or police officers in general. Police say up to 80 officers were deployed daily during a spike in seemingly random incidents in an effort to curb crime. We're scaling back our callback resources, our callback officers, and moving to an on-duty model. The spike in violence peaked in December, with this model starting at the end of January. You are still going to see a number of officers in the system. What has actually changed? is that they are not going to be callback uh, overtime officers. In December, a double stabbing at High Park Station killed Vanessa Kurpuska and seriously injured another. A woman had liquid poured on her and was set on fire in June at Kipling Station. And in April, a woman was pushed onto the tracks at Bloor and Young. Riders say they still want to see police in transit. I don't feel comfortable to go on the transit by myself and the fact that I also didn't know that there was police there, and it also felt like they weren't really doing much. I still feel like there's so many ways that people can sneak onto the transit. I've noticed that there's a lot more people sleeping on the train, so like early in the mornings and stuff like that. So, But I mean, it is winter, so I don't know. What are you going to do? We, we do know that they've, they've had a, a positive impact. Uh, people like seeing police in the system. They like seeing more staff in the system, and they'll continue to see all of those things. The TTC has also added resources, including 50 temporary security guards, community safety ambassadors, and street-to-homes outreach workers. And the Toronto Police are also confirming that they are investigating an incident on the heels of this announcement where a woman was on the subway wearing a hijab when a man allegedly approached her, spoke with her, and then he allegedly pulled out a large knife and she ran for her life. Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey has tweeted about the incident, saying that Islamophobia has no place anywhere in the city. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. A major financial storm is brewing south of the border tonight following the biggest bank collapse since 2008. The aftermath has many wondering how this could have happened and just how far the reverberations will go. Here's CTV's Richard Madden with the story. After the stunning collapse of two U.S. banks over the weekend, President Joe Biden is trying to avert panic in the system with an address to the nation. The bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Federal regulators taking extraordinary emergency actions to protect consumers and contain the fallout. Shareholders and bank executives won't be protected, but account holders will have access to all their money beyond the $250,000 limit insured by the federal agency. 
No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. Silicon Valley Bank, long the go-to lender for tech startups, suddenly imploded Friday after it sold assets to shore up its finances. Customers quickly rushed to access their cash, but accounts were frozen. All our money is in the bank. I don't know how we're going to do our payroll. Yesterday, New York regulators seized control of the now-failed Signature Bank, which funded cryptocurrency and real estate. Officials promising those customers their deposits will be made available. The banks are open. Everything is fine, calm. Those bank failures ignited worries about the health of other regional banks. Many of those stocks tumbled. Biden vowing to hold those responsible for this mess accountable. Richard Madden, CTV News, Washington. And those reverberations are also being felt here in Canada. Our Raheem Ladani joins us now with more on that angle of the story. Raheem. Well, Nathan, the business that Silicon Valley Bank did in Canada has primarily been lending to corporate clients. While some of the big-name banks are exposed because of this fallout, experts say Canada's banking system is well-regulated and stable. Bankers on Bay Street are searching for clarity, wondering how the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in the United States could affect the Canadian economy. I'm always shaky about banking crisis because if there is a run on one bank... Will it start a run on other banks? It seems like it's not a huge deal, but there is a little bit of a fact. People might be jittery. I thought maybe it was really going to affect the U.S. until this morning I listened to the news and they said there's a branch here in Canada. That branch of Silicon Valley Bank has been in Toronto since 2019, lending primarily to Canadian tech companies. The vast majority of Canadian companies never had deposits with Silicon Valley Bank. There are some and there are a couple of material ones, but it's not systemic. Canada's banking regulator has seized SVB's assets and is seeking to gain permanent control to protect Canadian creditors. Peter Rutledge saying in a statement, I want to be clear, the Silicon Valley branch bank in Canada does not take deposits from Canadians. And this situation is the result of circumstances particular to Silicon Valley Bank in the United States. Business analysts are echoing a similar calm reaction for Canadians to have. We have some kind of exposure through our pension plans, through our stock investment accounts in banks here in Canada. You have nothing to be concerned about because... The big banks in Canada are well capitalized, they're conservative, and they're low risk. SVB's capital crisis is the biggest banking failure in U.S. history since the financial fallout in 2008. Well, it just shows what happens when you have interest rates go up so sharply so quickly. While the Canadian economy appears to be insulated from this fallout south of the border, some are wondering if the Bank of Canada is taking notice. I'm very interested to see what the Bank of Canada sort of like learns from that experience to see if there's like any trouble that could happen to our banks as well. The BOC's next interest rate announcement is set for April 12th. Some financial advisors believe SVB's situation could actually end up benefiting the Canadian economy, saying investors may be more inclined to buy into Canadian banks after the recent fallout. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Raheem. 
A live look at the city tonight. Skaters enjoying an evening on the ice to start March break. The weather has been cooperating for much of the day. Question is, will it continue? Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. This is great for this time of year. We'll take this, won't we? We've had a burst of flurries today on and off around the GTA. I'll step aside so you can see where it's impacting right now. Oakville into downtown Toronto, north to North York, uh, seeing some of the, the heaviest flurries. But this really isn't amounting to a whole lot. It looks pretty. And it might, if anything, be creating some visibility issues, but also some snow around Windsor and Ottawa, too. We are dealing with a northwest wind right now. It's starting to strengthen as we make our way into this evening. And it's going to make it feel a little bit chilly out there, especially later tonight and into tomorrow morning. Current temperature is zero, feeling like minus five. Forecast wind chill tonight, minus 12. Tomorrow is going to be a bit of a cloudy, windy and cool day. But we do have some spring-like weather in store this week. We'll take you through the forecast coming up for now nathan i'll send it over to you all right thank you Lindsay. getting blocked by the snow a small business owner in east york says he's getting frozen out and will have to shut down if snow banks are not removed from his street that's coming up two men at the center of one of this country's most high profile murder cases are back before a judge Della millard and mark smith are appealing their convictions this week inside ontario's highest court CTV's Janice Golding has been following today's proceedings and joins us now. Janice. Nathan, five years ago, Della Millard and Mark Smith stood trial for the killing of Laura Babcock, a young Toronto woman who went missing in the summer of 2012, a case that notoriously involved an industrial incinerator, which was allegedly used to dispose of Babcock's remains. Linda and Clayton Babcock emerged from Ontario's highest court, having just heard why the men found responsible for killing their daughter are appealing their first-degree murder convictions and sentences. There's no such thing as closure. If anybody tells you that, they've never been anything through anything like this or even close to it. It's, it's devastating to lose a child. And anybody that's lost a child can relate to us. In 2017, Mark Smitch and Dylan Millard were convicted of murdering 23-year-old Laura Babcock. Today, a three-judge panel heard from Smitch's lawyers, who argued he had no motive to kill Babcock, who'd been romantically involved with Millard. This was a love triangle. There is no place for a fourth person in a love triangle. In their appeal documents, Smitch's lawyers also argued that while their client was financially dependent on Millard and the two were like brothers, the appellant's loyalty to Millard did not translate into a role in the murder of Ms. Babcock, for which the motive was Millard's alone. Smith's lawyers said that while their client had helped acquire and test an incinerator and had participated in cremating activities on July 23rd, admittedly a horrible thing to have done, there was little or no evidence that Smith was an aider and a better in the killing. Meanwhile, in his fact, and Millard's lawyer, Ravin Pillay, argued the appellant's self-representation resulted in profound unfairness. He was outmatched by his adversaries. Police admitted that the trial judge had erred in failing to grant Millard his application to adjourn his trial to retain counsel. He also argued that the trial judge had erred in failing to exclude the evidence of Millard's uncle, given he was openly hostile to the appellant. Smith was to be ineligible for parole for 50 years, serving two consecutive life sentences for the murders of Laura Babcock and Timothy Bosma. Millard faced an additional 25-year life sentence for the killing of his father, Wayne. However, last year, the Supreme Court ruled that stacked parole ineligibility amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. Well, we're disgusted at the Supreme Court for reducing the... Uh... Con they're making concurrent uh, sentences for lifers, and that means our daughter gets no justice. How so? Well, Tim Bosma has 25 years, 
His court case came up first. Right. Ours was second, and she gets no justice. And it's really sad that uh, this, her life was cut short, and uh, her dreams were, of course, uh, uh, cut short as well. Both lawyers also argued the trial judge made errors in his instructions to the jury. The appeal is to continue all week with Millard planning on representing himself in the latter part of the week. He did speak briefly this afternoon about getting electronic materials out of Millhaven Institution, which is where he is currently incarcerated. Reporting live from Janice Golding, now back to Nathan. All right, thank you, Janice. West of the GTA tonight and to the scene of a tragic fire on the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. It involves a, uh, a family that was living here, and uh, unfortunately, a young girl has, uh, has died. Authorities say a fire broke out inside a camping trailer overnight. Two adults and four other children managed to escape the blaze with just minor injuries. No word yet on how the fire may have started. Police in London have charged a man following a violent standoff in a, an apartment building over the weekend. He has made his first court appearance and has been remanded into custody until his next appearance on March 20th. Police were called to the building early Saturday where they found a 41-year-old man suffering from stab wounds. He would later die in hospital. A standoff then followed with a person in a sixth floor unit. Two officers were shot before the ordeal finally ended more than 12 hours later. Their injuries are said to be non-life-threatening. 42-year-old Adrian Neal Campbell has been charged with second-degree murder and attempted murder. Most understand it takes a while for snow to be cleared by the city after a major storm. But three weeks later, one business owner says he's still waiting. He says snow banks are blocking street parking for customers. And if it doesn't get removed soon or melt, he's done. CTV's Mike Walker has the story. The snowbanks left over from the plows in front of Keith Diamond's Filipino grocery and takeout business are mostly ice now blocking the limited street parking along Dawes Road, which he says is hurting his business. They've never really maintained the spots after they fill them with snow when they plow the street, which makes it extremely dangerous. We get constant calls from our customers, sorry, we can't come in, but there's no parking here. Diamond says his calls to the city have mostly gone unanswered. Just last week, a supplier suspended deliveries and pickup of fat and waste oil bins. Because it's unsafe to pull out the front here and pick up the product that they need to pick up. And, and once my barrels are full, I have to close my doors because I can't operate anymore. He says that could happen in the next couple of days. Along Dawes Road, there are only a handful of parking spots. Some are still snowed in. In other spots that are partially cleared, vehicles are forced to park in the bike lane. It's a hazard. You know, a lot of people are coming here, this park here, and, uh, you know, it'd be nice if, uh, you know, the city could help clear uh, the parking space here. In previous winters, Diamond says the city would have cleared the snow within a day or two of calling, but when a city employee inspected on Friday... He says, based on what I've looked at before in other areas, um, they've met their scope of work and I don't think they're going to do anything for you, which I found very disappointing. Based on the fact that I pay commercial taxes here for 18 years, that we're not being looked after the way we should be. This is the first winter new contractors are responsible for the majority of snow clearing. Two city councillors are now calling for a comprehensive review of snow clearing operations. We need to know what worked, what didn't, and what we can make better. The motion will be debated at a committee meeting next week. In Diamond's case, the city says snow removal operations are planned for tomorrow. He can only hope with time running out. Access very negatively because that's our income, you know, that's, that's how we make our way. Mike Walker, CTV News.
In it for the long haul, researchers explore treatments for long COVID and hope to find relief for those who've been battling the illness for several months. That's coming up. Mississauga team's been arrested for allegedly setting up dates online and then robbing them at knife point. 18-year-old Jasmine Ung is charged with two counts of robbery. Police say the meetings were in the Malton area and there may be additional victims. Authorities are also investigating whether she was involved in a carjacking in Toronto last summer. Ukraine's commander of ground forces says the situation around Bakhmut remains difficult. The enemy is advancing from several directions, trying to break through to central areas of the eastern city. The Ukrainian military released video today of its troops less than a kilometer from the front line at an undisclosed location. The soldiers' main job is to locate Russian armored units. The fiercest fighting is in the east of the country, where Russia is still trying to capture Bakhmut after months of bloody combat. Ukraine has said it will defend the city rather than withdraw. In Iran, the regime is claiming 22,000 protesters have been pardoned. Demonstrators erupted across the country in one of the bloodiest challenges or make the boldest challenges in the Islamic Republic in decades. The anti-government protests followed the death of a young woman in police custody. She was arrested for reportedly wearing her headscarf improperly. Authorities responded to the demonstrations with a deadly crackdown. The government has not said when the pardons were granted or if the people had been charged. Back here at home, a big development in a story we first brought you last night. A stolen ceremonial headdress has been recovered. The sacred item was inside a Jeep, swiped in yet another GTA car theft, and putting a damper on Ontario's largest Indigenous hockey tournament. CTV's John Musselman has the update. It's called the Little Native Hockey League Tournament. More than 185 teams from across the province are in Mississauga this week competing. Chief Scott McLeod of the Nipissing First Nation near North Bay is here with his family. He's also the latest victim of GTA car thieves. When I was going uh, down to the vehicle to uh, grab a coffee and bring the rest of my stuff up is when I noticed that my vehicle was missing from the uh, parking lot. His 2022 Jeep Wrangler was stolen early Saturday morning from the parking lot of this hotel at Dixie and Matheson Boulevard. The worst part, says McLeod, the community's sacred ceremonial headdress was in the vehicle. Really no price we can put on it. Uh, you know, it, the meaning behind uh, the headdress is, is very deep. But early this afternoon, a break in this case, McLeod got a call from Peel Police. They located his stolen car abandoned in a parking lot near Dixie and Steeles. The headdress was still inside. From the looks of it, it wasn't even touched. Uh, so I'm, I'm super, super grateful uh, for everybody that helped and uh, shared the story. In a post on social media, Peel's police chief wrote, quote, we are pleased to advise that the headdress has been located and returned to Scott McLeod. Thank you to our PO police officers for their diligence and for the public assistance in ensuring its safe return. I've been uh, really struggling over the last 36 hours uh, with the weight of this. Um, I, I, if I was truthful, I, uh, uh, you know, I was worried that uh, it wasn't going to be returned. McLeod says the headdress needs to go through a cleansing ceremony. It is now safely secured back at the hotel. John Musselman, CTV News. King Charles celebrated his first Commonwealth Day as symbolic head of the group's 56 countries.
its near boundless potential as a force for good in the world demands our highest ambition. Its sheer scale challenges us to unite and be bold. The monarch says he draws inspiration from the people of the Commonwealth he has met over the years and strength from his late mother's example, who had a special place in her heart for the organization. 2.6 billion people call the Commonwealth home. Meanwhile, these are the first stamps featuring the king's silhouette. They appear on a royal mail collection of 10 special stamps celebrating the UK's favorite flowers. The monarch is known to be an avid gardener who spent more than 40 years transforming the grounds around his private house. There's no crown unlike his mother's stamp. He says it seems like yesterday the Pope is marking 10 years as head of the Catholic Church. The pontiff became the first Latin American pope on March 13, 2013, and has now reigned longer than the seven-and-a-half-year average of the previous 265 pontificates. Pope Francis has visited 60 states and territories, traveling nearly 410,000 kilometers. He celebrated the special milestone today with mass, attended by all the cardinals in Rome. The 86-year-old has a persistent knee ailment but appears to be in good overall health. Just over three years have passed since the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic. There have been many things we've learned about the virus, but there's even more that we don't know. One such mystery surrounds the effects of long COVID, the ongoing symptoms some people report after recovering from the illness. Now, one Ontario research team is hoping to help create some clarity. Our health reporter Pauline Chan explains how. I think it is the start for patients in terms of the recognition that it exists from the federal government. Dr. Angela Chung heads a research team that is getting $20 million in federal funding to create a Canadian network to investigate post-COVID condition, or PCC. There are many unanswered questions about long COVID, and that's why we want to get the top people across Canada to work together. Dr. Chung says the key question is how to treat PCC, and some of the areas they'll be examining for clues will be immune dysregulation, inflammation, endothelial dysfunction affecting the lining of the blood vessels, mitochondrial dysfunction, viral persistence, and more. The federal funding also includes $9 million to create a set of guidelines for PCC. The guidelines that uh, we are funded to to develop will cover um, the definition, diagnosis, management, uh, probably also prevention. The Public Health Agency of Canada says 14.8% of adults with a confirmed or suspected case of COVID-19 experience prolonged symptoms, with almost half of those lasting more than a year. The health guidelines for post-COVID condition are scheduled to be released in March of 2024. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Coming up, happy March break. Families converge in the name of fun. We join the fray, exploring all things entertaining as the kids are out of class and parents aim to keep them busy. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, there is growing opposition to a new tax increase on beer, wine and spirits. It goes into effect on April 1st. Alcohol producers call the tax unfair at a time when Canadians are already paying more for food, gas and energy. I'll have my reports just ahead. 
not a bad looking forecast as we make our way through March break. Tomorrow will be cool and windy, but that won't stop families from heading out to have some fun. And if you are lucky enough to be spending the week in Collingwood, Muskoka or the Kawarthas, the weather's looking decent as well, especially as we head into Wednesday. I will have the sunny and seasonal details coming up and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. The federal government's annual escalator excise tax raises the price of alcohol tied to inflation, which on April 1st means a hike of 6.3%. But brewers, a taxpayer group, and many consumers are hoping the tax can be stopped before it goes into effect. Here's Pat Foran and Consumer Alert. Pat. Nathan and Michelle, many Canadians enjoy having a beer, but if the tax increase goes through, brewers say prices could rise by more than 6% and even as much as 10% due to other factors. The industry is telling the government it's the wrong tax at the wrong time. Many people who enjoy a beer or a glass of wine aren't happy to know their favorite drinks could be going up in price again. I really hope they don't implement that. I don't think it should be any higher than it is now. I feel badly for beer drinkers. On April 1st, the 6.3% federal excise tax is slated to go into effect on beer, wine and spirits. Taxes already make up 50% of the cost of beer, 65% of the price of wine and 75% spirits. Canadians are already paying enough tax, more than enough tax, every time they go uh, get a pint of beer. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling on the federal government to scrap the alcohol tax increase, which would go into effect the same day MPs are to get a raise of about $5,000. On the very day that the carbon tax and alcohol taxes are going up, members of parliament are also taking their fourth pay raise since the onset of COVID-19. We're predicting an approximate 10% increase in beer prices in 2023. Beer Canada, a lobby group for brewing companies, believes there is still time to stop the alcohol tax increase when the federal budget is tabled on March 28th. There is an opportunity for the Minister of Finance to do the right thing, recognize that um, the automatic increase that's in law today was not meant to be applied in circumstances like these. Conservatives believe that now is the worst possible time to raise any taxes. His planned tax increases on alcohol should be cancelled. Even some Liberal MPs say they're hearing from their constituents who say the tax hike should be stopped or at least reduced. I do not believe that the tax increase should go ahead. I don't believe that it should be tied to the rate of inflation. If the tax does go through, pubs and restaurants say it will also impact their bottom line as they continue to recover from the pandemic. And even if the tax doesn't go through, beer, wine and liquor prices are still likely to increase due to transportation, energy and packaging costs. But some brewers are concerned if they raise beer prices too much, consumers won't buy it. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. In California, a levee break has quadrupled in size as yet another atmospheric river is on the way. The increased rupture is complicating repair efforts and spilling floodwaters into farmland and agricultural communities. After it failed Friday, more than 8,500 people were evacuated. 50 others had to be rescued. And now there could be more flooding, wind damage and power outages from a new plume of ocean moisture. It's expected to arrive tonight in northern and central parts of the state. And move south 
over several days. Just what they need. Yeah, it's just a mess, and I'm sure many people here are watching what's going on there. Yes, more rain on the way, more snow in the higher elevation areas. Not needed. It looks very impressive on uh, satellite and radar. So I am going to show you that atmospheric river. Not having a big impact on our forecast here locally. In fact, uh, we're going to be pretty quiet over the next couple of days. I'm especially looking forward to Wednesday. Lots of sunshine and some milder temperatures in store as well. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. So when we talk about an atmospheric river, this is what it looks like. Quite literally a plume of moisture making its way across the Pacific. There's Hawaii. Sometimes this type of uh, phenomenon is known as a pineapple express. And that is what happened over the weekend in California. And then here comes the next round of rain and snow for the mountain areas too. So uh, this is a story we're going to continue to watch in California. It's uh, causing all kinds of problems, unfortunately. Uh, going from drought in that state to now simply too much rain and snow. Here locally at home, temperature-wise, we are a little below seasonal today and will be for tomorrow as well. It's currently minus one degree. Overnight, we're dropping to a low of minus five, wind chill minus 12. So if you are venturing out this evening or going to be out early tomorrow morning, bundle up. Not completely done with the park of weather just yet. Here's tomorrow at a glance, a mostly cloudy day. We do once again have a chance of flurries. Their lake effect flurries are going to be highly localized, so not everyone is going to see them. We'll show you that on the forecast radar in just a moment. Winds are going to strengthen as we make our way through the night tonight, and they'll be especially strong by about midday tomorrow. That, too, is going to contribute to the lake effect pattern because we are looking at winds coming out of the northwest. There's another look at the flurries we've been dealing with on and off today in the, the lower part of the Great Lakes. There's another storm that's headed for our friends in Halifax. Nova Scotia. It's a nor'easter that's starting to brew off the coast of the United States. Our weather, again, pretty quiet by comparison. I'll draw your attention to just to the south of Lake Huron there, where a little more in the way of lake effect snow is expected for tomorrow. We might get some breaks in the cloud tomorrow if we're lucky. Uh, crossing my fingers for that, but otherwise it's looking like a mostly cloudy day in most parts of southern Ontario. Get ready for the sunshine, though. Wall-to-wall -wall sun during the day on Wednesday, and the temperature is going to be a little bit milder at that point, too. So let's talk about the seven-day forecast. Wednesday, Five degrees, plenty of sunshine. Increase in cloud cover in the evening hours. Thursday, mild again. It's dry but cloudy during the daytime hours. In the evening, we could get into a little bit of mixing. Now, the models disagree a little bit when it comes to Friday. But what I want to talk about here is the potential for a little bit of a soaking. If the temperature is mild enough during the day, this will mainly be a rain event. Uh, Temperature-wise, though, we're looking at about 2 degrees. So, again, we're close to the freezing mark. And overnight, we slip below. Looks like a few flurries are going to follow us into the day on Saturday. I'm happy to talk about the fact that spring is right around the corner. By about this time next week, we will officially be welcoming the season and while it is in the long range right now conditions are looking pretty pleasant that's your look at the weather for now nathan over to you all right thank you lindsay also tonight the biggest night in film is in the books we recap the winners and moments to remember complete with more than one canadian trophy winner The Oscars have been doled out with one movie in particular taking most of the lot. Yes, the 95th Academy Awards were all about everything, everywhere, all at once. But there were several Canadians who got their hands on a coveted gold statue. CTV's Andrea Case reports. Brendan Fazer. 
He may not have been born in Canada, but we can claim Best Actor Oscar winner as our own. Brendan Fraser holds dual Canadian and American citizenship and attended Toronto's Upper Canada College, winning the statue for his transformative role in The Whale. The man who was responsible for the transformation, Montreal prosthetics designer Adrian Moreau, won the Oscar for Best Makeup and Hair. A thrilled Sarah Polly took to the stage, winning for Best Adapted Screenplay. The Toronto-born writer won for Women Talking. She also directed the film. First of all, I just want to um, thank the Academy for not being mortally offended by the words women and talking put so close together like that. <laughs> Cheers. And Toronto documentarian Daniel Roher won the Best Documentary Feature for Navalny about a plot to kill the Russian anti-corruption campaigner. If there was a lock on who would win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, this was it. This, this is the American dream. His co-star Jamie Lee Curtis took home the award for Best Supporting Actress. I just won an Oscar. Lead actress, was there any doubt, Michelle Yeoh had won almost every award she was nominated for. Dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. Best director was actually best directors, the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, the masterminds behind everything, everywhere, all at once. It also won best original screenplay and the biggest award of the night, best picture. And best song Oscar nominee Rihanna may have been the last to arrive on the champagne carpet and the only media outlet she stopped to talk to was E-Talk and Tyrone Edwards. We're here tonight, I couldn't believe it. And that was worth me leaving my maternity leave to get into the studio. <laughs> Her performance of the Oscar-nominated song Lift Me Up was a rousing tribute to the film's departed star, Chadwick Boseman, losing to the widely popular dance sensation Natu Natu from the film RRR. Its Oscar win for Best Original Song was the first for an Indian film. Andrea Case, CTV News. And a reminder to stick around after CTV News Toronto for additional coverage from the Oscars. E-Talk will recap Hollywood's biggest event, including that exclusive interview with Rihanna and all the best backstage moments. That's coming up at 7. Drake is launching a major tour of arenas across North America this summer. The Toronto rapper posted this video as he made the announcement today. The four-time Grammy winner will team up with collaborator 21 Savage for the It's All a Blur, Blur Tour. It begins June 16th in New Orleans with two Canadian shows in Montreal and Vancouver. Additional concerts include Toronto, and that will be announced at a later date. Pre-sales start Wednesday with general sales on Friday. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. And a reminder, the CTV News at 6 podcast is available as a download every weeknight. You can also listen to the newscast live on News Talk 1010. Get Toronto's top stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. We've actually brought in more uh, street outreach workers. We've got more special constables. Uh, we've got uh, some specially trained security guards to assist people. Updating our top stories, Toronto police are extending their extra patrols of TTC properties. 80 additional officers were deployed in January in response to a rash of violent incidents across the system. The move comes amid concerns about finances, as it was costing the city roughly $1.5 million each month.
There's no such thing as closure. If anybody tells you that, if they've never been anything through anything like this or even close to it. The man imprisoned for the murders of Laura Babcock and Tim Bosma began appealing their sentences today. Dellen Millard and Mark Smith were sentenced to 75 years and 50 years, respectively, in connection with the killings. Now they're seeking to have those sentences reduced to 25 years after the Supreme Court ruled last year that stacked periods of parole ineligibility were unconstitutional. The vast majority of Canadian companies never had deposits with Silicon Valley Bank. Canadians are feeling the impact of the collapse of two U.S. banks over the weekend. Both Silicon Valley Bank, which funded tech startups, and Signature Bank, which was involved in cryptocurrency and real estate, failed. However, U.S. President Joe Biden has assured Americans that their banking system is safe. And the news about SVB may also have governments and central banks around the world thinking twice about hiking interest rates again anytime soon. BNN Bloomberg's Jacqueline Hansen explains why. Canadians may not have to contend with any more interest rate hikes as central bankers assess just how much stress higher interest rates are having on the banking sector. The Bank of Canada's next rate decision is still a month away, but some traders are already bracing for something that hasn't happened since the early days of the pandemic, an interest rate cut. The U.S. Federal Reserve will make its next rate decision in about a week, and markets are dialing back expectations there, too. While U.S. regulators have taken steps to try to boost confidence and access to liquidity for smaller regional banks, the central banks may not want to make matters worse or expose new vulnerabilities with even higher interest rates. The failure of Silicon Valley Bank should not have a significant impact on the Canadian banking system, according to analysts at Scotiabank Global Equity Research. While some Canadians may want more choice and competition in Canada's banking sector, the team of analysts suggests the dominance of a few large and diversified players are a strength. In fact, they argue that the U.S. banking sector needs to become more Canadian. Meanwhile, Canadians are feeling the growing weight of higher interest rates. According to Statistics Canada, the amount of interest paid by Canadian households rose at the fastest pace in more than three decades. In the final three months of last year, interest payments totaled $33 billion, a 45% jump from a year earlier. Let's take a look at some of the closing market numbers for today. The Canadian dollar is trading higher, about half a cent to 72.81 cents U.S. West Texas Intermediate Oil fell almost $2 to about $74 U.S. a barrel. And Western Canadian Select declined almost $3 to roughly $57 U.S. a barrel. As for stock markets, the TSX lost about 180 points to end the day at 19,588.9. That is the latest in business. I'm Jacqueline Hansen of BNM Bloomberg. One of the world's biggest automakers has picked Ontario for its first electric vehicle battery plant outside of Europe. So this is a complete turnaround in Ontario and a real, uh, a, a truly a success story. When you have someone like Volkswagen who decides to come to Canada, it's a huge message to the industry. 
Volkswagen and its battery company PowerCo will build the factory near the southwestern city of St. Thomas. There are no details yet on the size, but officials have said they're looking at 20 gigawatt hours of capacity. Volkswagen says Canada offers ideal conditions, including a local supply of raw materials and wide access to clean electricity. Analysts think the facility could create about 2,500 jobs. The plant is for product. The plan, rather, is for production to begin in the year 2027. The Toronto Maple Leafs are going for three straight wins when they host Buffalo tonight. And it's broken up, but stolen there. The chance. Nylander scores. The Buds enter the game four games, break that four points up on Tampa for second place in the Atlantic Division. But they played two fewer games than the Lightning. The Sabres come into the game looking to bounce back after losing four in a row. TJ Brody alongside Stolen. Meantime, Mitch Marner has been named one of three NHL stars of the week. The Leafs forward had two goals and four assists in two games to help his team post a pair of wins. Marner's week included a goal and three assists in Saturday's 7-4 win over the Edmonton Oilers. There are reports tonight a new professional women's hockey league is being launched. The Athletic says it will be ready to go for next season. The Los Angeles Times reports a six-team league is in the works with an average annual salary of about $55,000. It would be made up of members of the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. It was formed after the collapse of the Canadian Women's Hockey League in 2019. Just ahead, March break madness. The kids are out of class and burning off energy all over the city. We catch up with families as they make memories and the best of long-awaited time off together. Hi, Michelle and Nathan. On the next CP24 Breakfast, we'll check in with Maple Leafs alum Darcy Tucker, who will let us know what the team has in store for St. Patrick's Day. And Canadian culinary icon Anna Olson joins us to talk about her new book, answering all the questions you've ever had about becoming a better baker. That's on the next CP24 Breakfast, up first at 5 a.m. Well, if you thought the road seemed a little different today, you're not wrong. It's March break in the city. And the kids are out of class, and you can bet every single venue that caters to fun is jammed full of excitement. CTV Scott Lightfoot was reminded of the joys of childhood. For some, March break started with a little fresh air and exercise, a nice change of pace from classroom life. It's more fun, and I don't have to sit at a desk. For others, it was a chance to reach new heights. I think I've been here before. Mom, have you been here before? No, this is my first time. The CN Tower was a popular destination for families today. So, too, was the Ontario Science Centre, full of kids embracing March break. I get a break off of learning, and uh, I get to, like, do whatever, I guess. But you're at the Science Centre learning. Yeah, but it's learning with fun. You can always learn and have fun here at the Science Centre. We're filled with hands-on educational ways to get involved with science and all fields of science. For many of the kids, just not being at school was the best part of the day. I think a break feels nice from school, just learning. I feel really relieved because I, I still have a lot of homework. So I don't have any, like, if I go to school, then I'm probably going to get even more homework. And while some kids had few plans for the week ahead... I can just relax at home and watch as much TV as I want to. Play games and outside and food. No school? No school. 
parents, on the other hand, seemed a little less laid back about the coming days. We've got the skating, we've got some skiing, some friends, maybe take up a movie, um, some science activities, arts and crafts. It's a busy week. Yes, two kids got to keep them busy and entertained. A busy week for some, a break for others, before heading back to school one week from today. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Finally tonight, a CTV Montreal camera person is being hailed as a hero after rescuing someone from a burning building. Cosmo Santa Maria works the night shift covering breaking news and sprung into action. CTV's Christine Long reports. Driving home after dropping off his teenage son at a friend's place, CTV cameraman Cosmo Santa Maria saw this fire. A neighbor had already called 911 and the flames were spreading fast from the van to the house. So the vehicle was right here and the door was right there. So it was very close. It was like uh, three, four feet away. Hello? Cosmo banged on the doors and windows, yelling for anyone to get out. When I saw the lights turn on, I knew somebody was inside and that's where I was more aggressive, like to get the person out. Working as an overnight patroller for CTV Montreal for a total of 15 years, Cosmo usually films the action without getting involved, but not this time. When I arrived, it was different. I had the phone in my hand, I go, wait a minute. Uh, I go, you know, the, uh, the fire department is not here, I need to take charge. I can't just stand and film. His actions roused the resident inside who got out safely. But Martin... The man Cosmo rescued is still processing the shock of it all, and he is thankful, as is the fire chief of the area. Bravo à monsieur pour, uh, pour son courage. François Tivierge says a recommendation for an award will be made because, as the fire chief says, Cosmo was quick to react. C'est un de vos collègues, puis il fait la différence dans cette intervention-là. He made the difference between life and death. How do you feel, Cosmo? I'm very happy that I woke him up and I got to see him today. Yeah. And he wasn't even on the job that night. Christine Long, CTV News, saint Roch de la Chigan. Can we also say bravo to Cosmo? Well mm -hmm. done. So this time, last week, it wasn't just about 7, it was just about 6 o'clock, and you can see... The brightness behind us. Yes, so we have brighter evenings now that uh, we have sprung forward. Uh, sunset time tonight is about 7.20, so just under a half hour away. Let's take one more look at the satellite and radar. We've got a few flurries out there and some cloud cover, so we're really not enjoying a beautiful sunset, but that's okay. I think we'll take those brighter evenings, won't we? Tomorrow's forecast daytime high is minus one degree, a little bit cool. You know, our average daytime high is now about four degrees, so we're cooler than average, and here's a look at the seven-day forecast. Nice-looking day for Wednesday, Nathan and Michelle. Thank you, Lindsay. And that's it for us, but be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night.